Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Get Clean Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Sharad, and this is episode 28. In this episode, I will be interviewing Nate Harvey. He is the executive equipment specialist for Elite FTS, and he was the former head strength conditioning coach at SUNY Buffalo for Olympic sports for many, many years. So I hope you all are excited to listen to this as much as I was to interview. Now, let's get clean. Cleo? Yes, sir. What's up, man? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you good. Cool. How you doing? Good, man. How's it going? Not bad, not bad. You're up in uh you're up in Connecticut right now? No, no, no. I'm in um I'm in uh New Orleans right now. But I was just saying I have seat uh central time. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And then I was like, I can't remember if you were in Ohio or you were in Buffalo. So I couldn't remember. I was like, "Wait, which one is he?" Because I, because <laughs> I, I, I'm normally in Atlanta, so I'm like, "Oh crap!" I didn't ask him that. So I was like, "All right, well, I'm just gonna wake up and then see." Because I, when I realized that it was like midnight, I was like, "Well, I'm not gonna text him now. I'll just wake up early and then I'll ask him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in I'm in Buffalo still. So yeah, is that where you've been staying? Um, for for the uh, you know, even the after you were at Buffalo. So, so oh, it's been cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, like when I uh, when I was done coaching, mm-hmm. they brought me on. He's like, dude, you can just stay in Buffalo and work from there. I was like, fuck yeah. So I <laughs> didn't, didn't have to move the family and all that business. Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, you you have kids and everything? Yeah, I got three kids. And they're, they've all been on fucking uh, remote learning mm-hmm. since March. So they've been at oh. home on their computer since March. <laughs> you, you, you doing any tutoring? What's that? I said, you doing any tutoring yourself? Oh, dude, I'm not a, I'm not an elementary school teacher. <laughs> I'm not cut out for this shit. And I, and I work from home too. So it's just, it's oh, a yeah. circus. Oh. But it's, it's whatever, you know, it is what it is. Oh. Are they, are they all super young? They're uh, 12, 10 and eight. Oh, all right, well, you you yeah, can still yeah, do this stuff, you know. Once it gets age. to high school, forget that. <laughs> God damn it! Um, I lost you for a second. You just got your back. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just saying, once they get to high school, then it's gonna be like, hey, you're gonna have to get a tutor. I don't know any of that. <laughs> yeah, it's getting to that point now. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, all right, man. So just uh, tell everyone who you are and what, what do you do for a living. Um, uh, I, I do sales with Elite FTS, and um, I do a little bit of coaching. Uh, I'm also on board as a coach. I was um, started with them as a coach before I started actually working. I was uh, oh, okay. working for them. Um, I was a, a sponsored coach for, I think it was six months. Mm. Um, and How then, does that uh, work? What's that? How does that, like, work? How does one become a sponsored coach from Elite FTS? Like, how, does that, how does that happen? Um, it's kind of... It's, it's it's different for everybody, I guess. Um, mm. And we're we don't do a, a, as much of this now. Like back early in the two, back in like the early two thousands, before mm. there was Facebook and stuff, people had to go on the internet and actually had to find stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? But over the last twenty years or so, everybody's got all their information right on their Facebook or whatever. So you don't, you know what I mean? So it's a little different. Like back in the early two thousands, um, we probably had. And I don't know this for sure, but we probably had a lot more traffic to the site. You know, it's mm. always been a, like a free resource site. Um, right. And when I was 
like early on in my coaching career, like even before I was a coach, I was on the coaching logs all the time, reading like Buddy Morris and Tommy Mislinski was up there and a bunch of big time power lifters. And I would just go on and read. They had like a Q&A, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So instead of instead of DMing somebody, you had to go to a website mm-hmm. and shoot them a DM. So I was on there learning all the time. And then, um, you know, I kept following through the years. And then uh, I kind of when I was coaching uh, D1, you know, it was always kind of a goal of mine to kind of be on board as a coach or whatever. But then, you know. <clears throat> After a few years, I finally felt like I had maybe done enough stuff and maybe had something to contribute. Um, mm. Like for me, it was kind of weird. Like we had we redid our room with Elite, so it was outfitted with Elite racks, and just because of you know the years I had spent on the site learning and stuff, that's who I wanted to go through. Um, right. And you know, all our stuff's designed by people who actually train, right. so it's like all the stuff we want to use on our athletes. They had. And uh, so we did our room, and then it was actually a couple years later, I was um, thinking about writing my book, and I was kind of thinking about, uh, tra- like, trademark stuff, and kind of mm-hmm. some of the legal stuff, and I I texted um, our sales director, Matt, and I was like, hey, do you guys have somebody you go through for, like, trademarking and, and copyright stuff? And he, he texted me back, said, Dave's going to give you a call, That who's our president, you know, he said, Dave's going to give you a call in about an hour, and he'll talk to you. And um, he spent like an hour and a half on the phone with me and he just kind of mentioned, Hey, you know, I'm glad you called because we've kind of been looking at you a little bit, but we're not sure like what your role would be or like how you would, you know, what you would want to do on the site or as part of the team or whatever. He said, mm-hmm. put together a proposal and, you know, and we'll see, see what it looks like. And that's what I did. And, you know, a couple of weeks later they brought me on. So it's kind of, you know, it's just, experience and and what you it's it's what it's not only like what you can do for elite like a big thing dave said to me he said how how are you going to use your relationship with elite to help yourself too you know what i mean right. it, should, it should go both ways so i kind of had to they, they they look for somebody with experience um someone that's you know can contribute and then like i said you know kind of help themselves out they want uh you know, just, just people that have been in the trenches for a while and then, uh, you know, have, have kind of a plan in some direction. It's not just go on and throw workouts up. You know what I mean? They want you yeah. to, you know, kind of have a have a goal and, and stuff with your with your sponsorship. Um, and then they have like athletes, too. Like I knew I wasn't like I powerlifted and stuff, but I knew I wasn't quite to the caliber where I should be if I was going to be an athlete. So I was like, well, I've been coaching for 10 years, so. I'll try to get on as a coach and just you know, <laughs> share the experiences I've had as a coach and how we helped our kids out and stuff. So that was, that was kind of how I got on to start. I thought you were already, uh, I thought you were an elite level powerlifter at that point. Uh, yeah. Like I totaled elite and stuff, but you know, but it wasn't like, like Dave Hoff <laughs> stuff. <laughs> What's that? I said it wasn't like the Dave Hoff Donnie level action though. Is that what it is? Right. Yeah. So like, put it like this, like simple terms, like if, um, like, let's say Donnie, Donnie and Hoff, like they're, they're the guys getting all American. They're on the podium at nationals. Yeah. Like my lifting would be, I'm the guy, I'm the kid that like may or may not make it to nationals. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I might make it to the show, but I I know I'm not going to be on the podium at the end of the day. (laughs) Right, right, right. right. I'll take the coaching route right there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) 
Shit. I'm, <laughs> I'm a role player, man. I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, what sports did you play growing up? I played um, – we played everything in the backyard. And then, like, mm. I went to a really small high school. Um, mm. uh, played football and basketball. And it was, like, we really – we didn't have track and field. We didn't have wrestling. Um, it was, like I said, it was a small town, so basketball was big. Mm. Um, like, we even – we would we had trouble even fielding a football team. Mm. You know, so it was like hey. – I was kind of like the black sheep. Like, I was a mm. kid lifting weights, and everyone's telling me I shouldn't be. And you know, <laughs> I, I I even have family members like say to other people that would get back to me like I don't know why he's lifting all those weights he's ruining this athletic you know because I wasn't a, I wasn't a real good basketball player mm. but it, it wasn't because I was lifting weights it was just yeah. I wasn't a good fucking basketball player <laughs> <laughs> you know so yeah just basketball and uh, basketball and football basically um, how did you get into coaching how did I start coaching yeah yeah I. Uh, <clears throat> I started training when I was 12 mm. and uh, th- like once I started training, it was like everything else took a back seat. And then probably like when I was 14, 15 ish, my dad was like, uh, he kind of told me, you know, there's people that are strength coaches and this is what they do. And I was like, that's what I want to do. You know what I mean? So it was kind of, really? yeah, from early on, I knew like, you know, pretty much what I wanted to do. And then um, I went to, <clears throat> excuse me, I was cold. Um, I did my undergrad in uh, phys ed and exercise phys. And mm. I was actually, I was certified to be a phys ed teacher too. I kind of had that in my back pocket as my backup plan. Um, and then I uh, took a couple years off, went out, worked a little bit, did some private sector stuff, substitute teaching. And then um, a couple years later, went back, did my master's degree at University of Buffalo. And um, it was right, it was at the end of that that I actually got in. Um, so, like, while I was in grad school, I was going in and volunteering and, you know, just oh, hanging okay. around the weight room trying to learn. Um, and I probably spent a year, actually, just hanging around and volunteering. And then I did my final internship there. Um, and they actually hired me on part-time right after that. Who so was the uh, coach you were studying under, underneath? Uh, so, yeah, we had um, – when I did my final internship – it's kind of a funny story. I uh, I knew the strength coach that was at UB, and that's kind of like one of the reasons I went to grad school there because mm. I knew of him and I knew he was kind of along the same lines of thinking. Mm. And then like two weeks before, I accepted my internship, had it all set to go. And then like two weeks before I was supposed to start, he left. Oh, you said this on Birds. I, I remember this now, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> Damn. And then, uh, but it ended up, Buddy Morris came in, who was, uh, you know, there we a go. huge yeah, conjugate right. guy. Right. And I had been reading his logs for years on Elite. You know, he, mm-hmm. he used to be Coach X on there when he was with the Browns. Right. So it was like, you know, everything fell into place, and it was super cool. And I got to, you know, and then at the same time, we had Julia there, who was also on Elite at the same time. And then Julia, uh, who's Buddy, Julia? Julia Anto. She's uh she was a, a strength coach at UB for a number of years. Um, very high level powerlifter. She was a sponsor. She's actually, I think, one of the longest running sponsored athletes with Elite right now. She's been there forever. Um, so ton of knowledge there. And then uh, Buddy brought on uh, Paul Childress, mm. who was like Donnie Thompson level powerlifter right. uh in the early 2000s uh so i got you know and he Paul was, was a lightweight right wasn't he is he at 198 
No, he's actually uh, 308 and super heavy. Oh, maybe I'm thinking – because there's another guy, Paul, named Paul. No, I'm thinking of a guy named Phil, something that comes from Westside. It's a 198. With the, uh, Phil Harrington? I think so. I think that's what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that dude was super strong. <laughs> um, go ahead. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, so <clears throat> we had um, at this little, you know, brand-new Division One school. They had only been D1 for like five years or whatever. Mm-hmm. He really had some of the top coaches, in my opinion, in the country. And I got, you know, that's how I got to come in and kind of break my teeth under those guys. Um, you know, just worked out. I got super lucky being in the right spot at the right time. That's And then I was um, was there for 10 years. Uh, my last four, I was the, the head strength coach for uh, Olympic sports, too. So, okay. Um, that's how I got in. So did you get introduced to conjugate before you were there? How, how did you get introduced to that? I actually, um, I got introduced to it. I was playing, uh, college football at Brockport. Okay. Um, and, uh, I was a huge fan of Mike Allstott, the old fullback for the bucks or tail, whatever running back for the bucks. The dude was like two sixty, mm. but could run like a tailback. Mm. Um, and, you know, in my mind, I was like, if I could, I got to figure, how's this guy training? You know, what is he, what is he doing? I saw an article where he was using chains on his bench and squat. Huh. So then I kind of got it on the internet and started researching that a little bit. And then, you know, I stumbled on um, Dave's article, uh, Periodization Bible Part 2. Huh. And then there, there was a couple articles by Louie, too, that came up. And I was like, this stuff makes, it just made sense to me. You know, uh-huh. I tried, I was always kind of looking for the magic program. And then I read this and I was like, this really makes sense. So I hopped on it. Um, didn't have a great knowledge of it. You know what I mean? I right. just looked at it and tried it. Uh, but I ran that kind of going into my senior year. And I had never felt that good. I felt fresh. I felt fast. I felt strong all season long. Right. You know, and then after the season, I remember I went in and tested my bench. And my bench was only, I think, like 10 pounds off of what it was right before the season which was never the case before because, like, you play football and then you go in and try to lift <laughs> soon after the season. You feel terrible. Everything feels heavy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was that was kind of – I was like, well, this, this shit's obviously working. You know what I mean? I felt great, and then I was able to keep my strength through the season. So then I just dove – like, after my senior season, I kind of dove in head first and really started <laughs> training and, you know, researching. So, and that was um, – that was like 2000, 2001. And then uh, I ended up finishing, like I said, I took a break and then I ended up finishing my grad work around 07, you know, and then I got to actually, you know, see some high level coaches, put it in the, put it into play and kind of see, see how things work. Um, And that, that was probably the most valuable thing that anybody can get is to see like high level people actually put it in place. Mm. You know, like I talked about Paul, I would see him and his training crew, like they're doing speed squats with five plates and three chain on each side of the bar and moving it like it's 135. You know, like I knew what dynamic effort work was, but then you see it, I'm like that, oh, that's how that's supposed to work. You know what I mean? You, you kind of see all that stuff in practice and it all really starts to make sense. Um, What did you do different with the athletes than with lifters using conjugate? Uh, honestly, you don't have to do a whole lot differently. Mm. You know, it's, um, 
there's kind of a misconception out there that it's a, like a powerlifting program. Right. Um, but like to my knowledge, it was actually originally developed for Olympic athletes. Right. And you know, to my understanding, no, Soviet, Soviet, yeah. you know, they put it on their Olympic athletes and then Lou stumbled on it and put it on his lifters, you know, so it's good that he did that, but we also kind of have to deal with that. Mm. <laughs> um, but, uh, real like the big differences, I would say, um, you're going to do some jumps with athletes, probably do a little bit more prehab rehab. And then like your conditioning work, uh, that really, that's, those are, those are the biggest differences. There's little things here and there. Like if you have overhead athletes, you got to take that into account, you know, um, you, you probably scale it down a little bit. Like as far as like when I would program, I would kind of program to my athlete's ability to lift. Right. So like the, the better they were in the ra- the weight room, the more I would push the programming along, hmm. not so much what sport they played. Oh, okay. Not, I just kind of always figured if they could train at a higher level, we can get more power output out of them, and then they're going to be better in their sport. You know, it's um, like to me, powerlifters and athletes have a lot of the same weaknesses. You know, with the system we talk about training weak, training weaknesses, mm. and a lot of them are really the same. You know, mm. so it's like to me with athletes, if you if you can get them lifting correctly, like I think form and intent on the bar is huge. Like if you can do that and kind of get them to follow a, a pretty general conjugate model, I think it'll be ahead of a lot of people, really. What are some things that you have done differently with lifters since you released conjugate you? Like, is there anything that you've added or changed? You're like, oh, I've learned some stuff. Because it's been a while since you released it, right? Yeah, it's been about three years, I think. Oh, it's been only three? I feel like people be talking about it like it's 10, 15 years old. I never paid it. I just got it like uh, like two or three weeks ago. I didn't pay attention to look at the release. But then I be I swear people talk about it, it's like like you wrote it when you had Buffalo or something. I'm like, what? Now he says three years old. I'm like, oh well, maybe you haven't changed much. I don't know. <laughs> um, some things I would do. There's there's things I would do differently. Uh, I probably would do a little more overhead work. Hmm. Um. Probably I would do more sprint work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when I say more, like it's not very much. Like I didn't, our coaches ran the kids a lot on their own. Right. Like even in the off season, they would have time with the kid and they would condition. And so I didn't see a, much of a point in doing more of that. You know, looking back, maybe throw like five or 10, 10 yard sprints in before uh, our lower body days. Right. And then do box jump. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, do a little more sprint work. Uh, a little more sled work, probably. Um, just with the groups we had and the time and space constraints, it didn't work out real well. Right. But I think I think there's a big value in that. Um, probably more weighted jumps. We did a lot of um, a lot of non-weighted jumps. You know, looking back, probably could have done more weighted jumps. Probably would have helped. You probably could have um, probably seen like Jared and Bird how much they. Do, but I feel like they've gotten they've gotten bigger on social media in the last two, three years. So that kind of makes sense. Cause like before them, I'd never really saw many people doing it. But now that I see them doing it all the time, I see how many freaks they make. So I'm like, Oh, you need to be doing that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want, everybody wants to bag on social media, but I mean, it can be good. Yeah. There's bad <laughs> things about it, but look, I mean, look at the access to information we have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, 
15 years ago, you had to go, you know, I had to go freaking go volunteer at the college to try to <laughs> learn stuff. Now it's all right. You know, you can just DM somebody or, you know, most people are pretty good about getting back to back to people. Um, those are, those are probably the big things I would change. Mm. Um, a couple, like a couple mistakes I probably made, um, with the athletes on your max effort, lower body days, try, um, we seem to do the best when we mixed up their stances a little more instead of don't be wide all the time. Right. You know, like maybe every third week hit a close stance, something. Um, maybe you could do it every other week. But I, I think if you got kids and athletes in general training wide all the time on your max effort stuff, it kind of bangs them up a little bit. Right. That's, that's one thing that I looking back, we probably probably could have done a better job of. And not that, you know, we just didn't know about it. It was just, you know, we started to see, you know, maybe a little more, uh, some tweaks here and there for kids complaining about achy hips and stuff like that. And it's probably, you know, they seem to do better when we rotated things in, mm. in and out as far as stance goes. Mm. Um, but yeah, those are, those are probably some changes I would make. Do you uh did you ever have athletes free squat ever? No. Nope. Nope. Not unless unless a coach wanted to. Ah. Then we would put it in. Um or if an athlete, like if an athlete wanted to do some extra stuff and you know they were a kid that did a good job, I'd let them do it. Um but we really didn't we really didn't need to because we were getting strong and improving off the box squat. Right. You know, so so to me it never really made sense. Um when we did put it in, a, a, an easy way to do it, because if you're predominantly a box squatter and then you have the kids start uh, free squatting, it can be kind of a clusterfuck. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> in, the, in the cases where we did put it in, um, we would do dynamic work. Mm. And then we would, I would have them pull the box out and then bring their feet in a little bit and then take. I don't know, a small percentage off the bar and then just have them do like three sets of five or something. So uh, we kind of use it as like a, 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 a secondary, you know, kind of movement. Right. And they seem to pick it up pretty good. Um, They're able to keep their form, you know, because we brought their feet in a little and dropped the weight a little. But they still, you know, the feedback I got from them was that it felt good. They felt like it was helping them. Um, And we didn't see, you know, any injury injury problems with it. So that was kind of a kind of an easy way to put it in there and you know not go crazy with it and still get a pretty good training effect um how how often do the athletes use bands versus chains for upper body max effort and dynamic day um we re- really we just kind of rotated it mm. you know what i mean and try to go like every other week um and that was like general off season now, if we got uh, – if we were in season or trying to peak them for something, then then I would start using bands more because, to me, that bands are going to make them faster. Mm-hmm. So, like, if we – like, let's say track, we're getting uh, close to their big meet, maybe six weeks or so, we'll start using more predominantly bands. And then, like, what I, I'd like to do um, – the last three weeks, we'd almost run like a circa max where we would uh, up. I think we would almost double their band tension. Oh. And that first week, we would max out, 
And then the following two weeks going into competition, we would keep the same band tension on and then um, drop their bar weight down to like 30, 40%. So it's like real speed work. Then we kind of, kind of run it that way to help peak them. But uh, in general, um, you know, general off season, we just kind of rotate things through. Okay. Uh, really didn't, didn't, you know, didn't have much, uh, just, just keep things fresh. And like I said, like in the point of the year when speed is more of your concern or your priority, then we would use more bands. Um, how, how much do you think the person should be at a bench before they use bands? Cause like I, you know, I have young kids or just kids that are not good at benching and you know, like they already don't take out weight without slamming it onto their rib cage. Well, so I always say like, well, how much bands, I mean, when should they be able to use bands or like, what is your kind of like, okay, now let's throw bands on. Cause I know with a lot of kids, they can do change almost right away. But then when I throw, put the bands on, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's. We would usually wait till they look pretty good technique wise, mm-hmm. um, and then like you got to scale it to their to their strength level. Right. Um, so like we would, you know, like let's say we had uh, women swimming in. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna have them use the same band as like a you know like my like my 400 pound uh, throwers bench 400. They probably have a mini band on. I'm not gonna put that on a female swimmer so like we would take the minivan is the red one micro or those green ones because i'm just gonna be out based off of elite fgs that's what you're probably using right so like which one is the mini that yeah. you're talking about is it the red that's the red, the red one. one yeah so what are the the swimmers you wouldn't use in that little skinny orange one micro yep. mini? and sometimes we would even sometimes we'd even use half of it half so one end of the band yeah one end of the band is on the bar and then you're running under the rack oh. and then we take the other end of the band and hook it on the weight storage oh okay <laughs> you know i gotta I mean? yeah so i gotta see that because i because as, as long as their technique looked okay just throw it out right okay but just scale it for them um what percentage of a one rep max did you want them to hit for the heavy twos and Five. So I know sometimes you said you guys want to do pure one rep maxes during the season, right? Yeah, we um, honestly, I didn't really use percentages oh, okay. for those. Um, I wasn't a big numbers guy in track, mm. you know, maxes and and like I would test what the sport coach wanted, mm. and then you know what the kids wanted. Um, but it was you know it, like if they were doing doubles. I would almost use like an RPE scale. Mm-hmm. Um, our kids, our kids were pretty good at, at training and kind of figuring things out. So I could say like, Hey, hit, you know, we're going to do three sets of two and it should feel like an eight out of a 10. Mm. You know, so work your way up kind of hit that zone and then hit two more sets there. Hmm. Um, you know in I mean? season, what sports did you see or did you have do still like pure singles for max work or did it just depend on the kid and if they were beat up? Employ. It yeah it uh, it depended on the kid it depended on the the group like if they were technically sound or motivated enough to do singles you know what I mean right. like um like my throwers I know they'll they want to train and they're gonna push hard and so they'll get something out of singles right uh we'll use women swimming again later in the season they might not be like you said, they beat up and stuff. They're not motivated to come in and do a good job on a one rep max, probably. Right. 
So we'll, we'll kind of do the RPE thing, but work up to a heavy two, hit a couple more sets there, get our work in that way. And then, uh, and then move on. Mm. So it really, you know, it, it was, it was more dependent on, uh, like the group's ability to lift really. Um, how many days would athletes lift in season versus off season? Usually in season was two days a week. And then, uh, if it was up to me, it'd be four days a week off season. Mm. But, um, you know, some of them only did three, which, it, which is fine. Um, when we had that, we just, uh, we would run the four day program, right. but spread it out over the three days. So what do you do it like a combined so, dynamic day or a double on that day? So we would do, <clears throat> so week one, we'd get through three days of the program. And then the next week they came in, they would be on day four of the program. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then start it over. Okay. Yep. We um we early on we did that where we'd do uh we'd cram it all into one week. So it'd be like heavy up or heavy or whatever, the two heavy days early on in the week. Right. And then the third day would be a combo speed day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on we switched to where we spread that those four days out and the kids seem to do better with it. So right. So because then you still got we the full to, accessories kind of and everything, way. right? What's I said, that? So then you, you get all your accessories in two that you wanted on those two days as well instead of cutting it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it actually kind of helps them out, helps them recover. Right. It, it kind of spreads the training out a little bit. You know, they got a lot to deal with with practice and school and, and all that other stuff. What, now, the two days in season, how, how did that work? Um, there's a ton of stuff you can do, uh, and it'll, it'll still work. Um, it kind of – there's a lot of factors. Like, what is what do they need? Mm-hmm. Um, are they a team – you know, a group that needs to maintain strengths or are you going to, or are they a group that needs more work on strength? So with those, you're probably going to do two max effort days and then your accessory work, um, you know, for like, to me, like football, you know, you could pull a lot of your heavy stuff out and do predominantly speed work and accessories, you know, maybe throw a heavy day in every third week or kind of something like that um, and, and save the wear and tear on them. You know, so that's an option you can do. Um, we had a, a couple teams where the coaches didn't want them doing anything heavy. So what we would do is ju- we would do speed work and then accessories. And like those, the teams that did that tested out very well after season. Mm. You know what I mean? So like, um, I think they did. Most of the kids were able to hit 90% or better um, on their max list postseason doing that. So it's that's that's what I really like about the system. Like, there's a ton of different ways you can kind of plug it in and and mess around with it, and still still works pretty good. You know what I mean? For the like like you were just saying, for the kids that need to maintain, you just do two days of speed work. Maybe every third week you do a heavy day. Would you rotate when you do that heavy day on that third week between an upper lift and a lower lift, or would you kind of like yeah? How would you how would you uh, know which one to do, or would you only do one or the other? Um, you could do both. So it'd be two separate days. So like one day lower, oh. one day upper. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, so that week, that yeah, so yeah. three weeks of speed work, and then the fourth week maybe you would do both. Those two days would be max lifts. Right. Oh, okay, okay. Right. 
Yep. Or you could, I mean, you could, you could go every other week. You could go speed week, heavy week, speed week. We did that with baseball. Uh, worked pretty good. Um, you could combine it. So you could do, instead of doing eight sets of three on speed bench, mm-hmm. you could do four sets of three and then have them work up on the same movement, you know, <laughs> to get that, that heavy stuff in. Maybe not true max right. effort, but have them work up to a heavy set of two that's, you know, like I said, feels like an eight out of right. a 10. And then go on to your accessory work. You can you can work it that way. That way it works pretty well too. Um, how long are workouts in season versus off season? Uh, they're quicker. In season is quicker. Um, you know, it could be a half hour, could be forty five minutes. Depends on the sport. Depends on how much work they're doing. Um, and then off season, you know, you could go an hour. Our throwers would go an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, because. <laughs> They uh they were they were able to float so they didn't have like a team schedule, mm-hmm. so they'd come in and train and you know what I mean do their stuff. So it's really depends on the schedules. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most most of the off season stuff was an hour. You'd usually have about an hour allotted. How did you have them warm up in seasons versus off with time constraints? Um, so I didn't. We didn't spend a lot of time on mm-hmm. warm ups. Uh, we tried to get them so they came in and got rolled out and kind of did the stuff they need, like that tissue prep mm-hmm. lane. You know, we tried to get them to where they could do that on their own before. And then, like, for warm-ups, we didn't do a lot of, uh, like, the extended dynamic warm-up that a lot of people mm-hmm. do. We basically would be two, set, two three sets of 20, um, something light. So, like, let's say it was lower body day. Like, it might be light reverse hyper, three mm-hmm. sets of 20. Uh, seated hip abduction or groiners, just basically a few sets to get the hips warmed up and low back and then go. And then, you know, for upper body day, it'd be some prehab stuff on the shoulders. Um, you know, maybe some light dumbbells for three sets of 20 and then onto your med ball throws and then your, your main lift. So like our warm ups really didn't take, you know, maybe five minutes. Right. Right. So we, cause like to me, Again, they did. They would do all that running and stuff with their coaches, so they're already doing a lot of that dynamic right. warm up stuff. Uh, you know, when they don't see us, so to do more. And a lot of times they bullshit <laughs> their way through it. You know what I mean? So we would just uh, get some blood to the area we were looking to train and, and kind of go. How many accessories for for upper and lower days, especially on those days where, like, like you said, you only got thirty, forty five minutes, like. How many accessories would you would you do like giant sets, ascending sets? Um, like how would you do it so you get some work done? Uh it could be anywhere from like four to six. Um mm-hmm. our kids did a pretty good job and we tried to teach this. We tried to teach them to kind of train somewhat fast. You right. know, get get in a group of two to three. As soon as a, one person's off, you hop on. Um you know the the I think the difference in season would be the amount of volume we did. I like I like to do kind of higher volume on accessories. Um, not all the time. We'll kind of wave it. Like we'll start out week one would be like three sets on most stuff. And then by the time we're on week three, like we might be up to six sets on a lot of stuff. So, you know, to me that way you build a base in the off season. So when I go in season and they do three sets of something, it's no big, like they can, crank through it pretty quick and it's not it's not crushing you, right. know, you know what i mean um but you can you can do different things you can 
get them all on the clock and you can do circuits and for, you know, for the most part to me, the accessory stuff is, is just doing work. So, you know, if you got a right. large group and you got to manage it somehow, it's uh, I don't think it's going to take away much if you're doing circuits versus straight sets. You know, um, how how often did you do HCP or sled work? I know you. I think you guys just were in the weight room, so you didn't have a sled. But did you did you have an ATP? Uh, we ended up the my last couple of years. We had two belt squats. Um, mm-hmm. so we did a little bit of marching, like with our track kids. With that group, with that setting, the way it was, we can work that in, do some marching, and do some sled work. Um. Well, like I said, I probably could have done more sled work with more groups. It was just managing right. it with, within the group and the time. Um, yeah. But we re- I, we didn't do a, a ton of marching, to be honest. You know, mm. if, if I was at uh, Alabama and I could have 10 belt squats, I probably, probably <laughs> would have done more. Right. Uh, I'm actually, I'm working. And 50 uh, hypers. What's that? And 50 hypers. Don't they have like a big row of hypers too? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's <laughs> that's a whole nother world though. Hey. I, uh, we got uh I do that work with Waverly. There's a school down in Ohio I work with and they just redid their room. Mm. And uh mm. we got our belt squat attachment on every rack. So uh, yeah. those kids are gonna get real familiar with, with marching and high rep belt squats and all that <laughs> fun stuff. Mm. Um, was there any sprint, sprint work in your program or would you just leave it to the coach that they were doing so much? Yeah, I would, I would kind of leave it alone. Um, when we, uh, when I had more control over it, like, like basketball would come back during the summer to train. And, uh, then, then I knew they had, had more time to rest and stuff. You know, they would still do basketball. But like uh, like our sprint work, I would usually start out um, start out on a hill if I could, or with sleds, and we mm. start out like uh, like ten ten yard sprints and two twenties. Like I said, either on a hill or with a with a sled, and then we just slowly build volume up over the next three weeks, and then drop it down a little bit, and then maybe switch the you know try to get more uh, specialized with it. So like our first, like say our first month might be all on the hill. And I stole this from buddy. I didn't come up with this shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then like your second, <clears throat> excuse me, your second month, you could like contrast it. So you could do like five sled sprints or prowler sprints. You know what I mean? Keep it kind of light. Mm-hmm. So it's still a sprint, but still, you know, maybe mimic going up a hill. So like five of those sure. and then five flat land. And then the next week you might do six and six and the, or, you know, whatever, uh, five and five, seven and seven. Um, I typically try not to increase volume by more than 20% each week on the running. Mm. So that was, you know, just add a couple each week and kind of build it up. And then, you know, like their last, then their last two or three weeks going into, um, practice, like practice would start like mid October. So like that last block, we may do some actual agility work or, you know, something like that. I'll try to make it more specific as you get there. Um, and those, um, those are usually done before our lower body days, our short sprint work. Oh, okay. Um, where was jumping in your program? Uh, before the main lift. So they would um, come in, do their tissue work, 
uh, warm up, and then we would jump, and then it was either speed lower or max effort lower. How often would you max in the jump, and what day of the week? Uh, I usually did max jump them. We usually just um, we usually just did our did our jumps. Usually just got the work in and and, and went. Did you do any uh, uh, heavy light method with jumps? Not uh, not much. Like I said, most of it was uh, was just jump. We would do a lot of different jump variations. Um, hold a med ball, uh, hold a kettlebell, uh, go from a seated position, go from a seated position where they pick their feet up and slam them, and then jump uh, mm. single leg jumps. But I, I didn't do much of the the heavy light stuff. Did you do any like hurdle, depth jump, uh, jump mat, or like off the knee jumps? Yep, we started doing some knee jumps later on. Um, we didn't do much like true plyometric work, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. like bounding over hurdles, like quick stuff right. off the ground. Um, right. Because, like I said, they were getting a lot of that even in their off season with our coaches and stuff and their running drills. Right. Um, right. Like with track, we would start phasing more of that stuff in as sort of a peaking technique. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, if they were getting ready for regionals or whatever, a few weeks out from that, we would start start working on, like, low-intensity stuff and then kind of build to more uh, higher-intensity stuff, like the bounding and the, the depth drops and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, where was and how much connected tissue work did you – have them do for upper and lower body? Mostly like med ball stuff. Um, you're talking about like reactive work? No, I mean like uh, like high rep, you know, like banded leg curls, tricep banded push down, stuff like that. Oh, I got you. I got you. Sorry. Um, yeah. We kind of tried to work that into the warm up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Wedding talks a lot about this. He has his wedding warm ups. Yeah. Um, and Louie, I actually originally got it the idea from Louie, but then like right after that, Matt was talking about it too. Um, Louie was doing, he talked about bringing your bench up. They would do like every day they came in to train, they would mm-hmm. do um, 30% of their bench max for just four sets of 15, just to kind of get a pump and push blood through and stuff. And uh, we kind of took that and then we did some dumbbell variations and stuff. So we would honestly, we try to work it in either at the beginning of the workout is like kind of part of a warm up um mm-hmm. or after even we didn't we didn't do a whole lot of like extra workouts okay just cuz it, it's hard to get them in there for extra things you know it's hard enough to get them in for <laughs> required stuff right um what did you tell them to do for recovery uh eat and sleep <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what every conjugate coach says i swear Oh, eat sleep shit. <laughs> we um we got we got big into body tempering. So the, mm. the kid, they like the kids that took it serious, they were pretty good about coming in and doing that and doing some extra mobility work on their own. Um but we yeah, we didn't have, you know, we didn't uh like I said, we didn't have them do a lot of extra stuff. And it it was weird like we would get I would get uh I had one coach that wanted to when they were there in the summer, wanted to bring them into the pool for a recovery workout. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't say it this way, but in my head, like, if you want them to recover, let them, 
let them stay at their apartment and take a fucking nap instead of dragging yeah. their ass in here. <laughs> get you know the this particular team didn't like going in the pool to begin with. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, just, right. just let them. And I tried to, in a very diplomatic way, I was like, just let them stay home and chill. Like, tell them to go in a room and shut the lights off and put their feet up and, you know, turn all devices off. And, you know, to me, that's more valuable than coming in and fucking around in the pool. Yeah. Because, um, like, the, the kids are looking oh, no, at me sorry. like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, we're doing high knees in the pool and shit. And I'm like, uh. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, uh, how often should the, should athletes perform uh, hypers, reverse hypers specifically? Um, every day that the sun comes up. No. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh. <laughs> Uh, it depends. Um, we, we, I tried to do, I tried to do them at least once a week, um, on their lower body days. Most of our teams that, uh, that were in there four days a week, probably for the, the majority of the time, probably did them twice a week. Uh, like they were in our warmups a lot. Um, mm. you know, two or three sets of 20 light. It didn't have to be hard but just you know open up the back and stuff um you know like when i first really started doing it my back was was terrible it would it was always locking up <laughs> yeah you know and like i read an article aj roberts did where he would they he said they were doing them every day they went to the gym so i was like all right i'm gonna try it and it freaking like <laughs> you know it helped my back a lot so you know at least you know i would say at the very least once a week probably right. twice a week um, how would hypers be done differently for lifters compared to athletes as far as how many days a week, um, the focus of doing a lot more heavy ones versus light ones? Like, how do you, how would you, how should that be different? Uh, we can't, it was pretty, for us, it was pretty much the same. Um, mm. again, that was kind of, that would be kind of based on the, uh, the, the level, the group. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So, like, throwers. So they were in there four days a week. They were definitely doing reverse hypers. Um, twice a week, they followed the same protocol I did. Like, we would typically do, like, their max effort day was a heavier weight, maybe around mm-hmm. 70% of their squat max. Uh, we'd eventually get them up to the point of four sets of 20. Um, Louis had some crazy formula for volume on those, and we, we basically followed that. And then on their on their light day, we would typically do four sets of twenty. Sometimes we would go through some crazy cycles. We'd get up to like four sets of sixty uh, with lighter weight, um, or lighter weight with you know, and do single leg, still four sets of twenty. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but it's it, we basically did like heavier, lower volume on our heavy days, and then lighter, higher volume on our our lighter days. Mm. And it's, it's I, I do the same thing for my lifters. You know, anybody, I, I do the same thing with myself. Um, I remember, it's funny you bring that up. I remember women's basketball. Uh, the one summer they had a really good summer and we were doing like four sets of 60 on reverse hyper Damn. for a lot of the summer. We, we worked them up to that. So we started out like three sets of 20. Then the next week was four sets of 20. Then the next week was four sets of, I don't know, 30. You know, we kind of, crept them up there but by the end of the summer they were going four sets of 60 
And uh, oh, but it worked. Dang. I mean, they responded really well. <laughs> it's oh, miserable. I, I think I only could do like forty to fifty, but no damn sixty. Get <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm about to be swinging that thing. Ain't gonna be no control on that six. <laughs> um, why don't Olympic lifts make you explosive? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say they can't, or, but I, I, I don't know. I would rather do something that's much easier to teach. You know what I mean? And not yeah. uh, go through all the through all that stuff. It's, it's I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, maybe somebody that can teach him better. But you know, in in my experience, they tend to beat the shit out of the kids. They beat right. the shit out of me when I played, and I like yeah. to do them. Like I think they're fun. It's cool to yeah, they're fun. Yeah, it's cool <laughs> to clean three hundred pounds and fucking you know know that you can throw that weight around. But it beats the head piss out of you. You can't <laughs> tell me otherwise. <laughs> I got a better one for you. Why don't ladders work? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure why. Uh, it has nothing to do with the, the sport. I mean, it, like it's not. It's here's like the 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 strength industry or fitness industry is like mm-hmm. music. Like when something <laughs> comes out, it might be kind of a good idea or kind of a cool song. But then people, here's, here's, here's what happens. Physical therapy comes out with these things as an initial good idea. And mm-hmm. then I think the strength industry takes them and bastardizes them. <laughs> and just, it's like that song that gets played into the ground after two years of hearing that song. Everybody hates it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, like to me, like, uh, a ladder would not be a terrible general warm-up. You know, mm. to kind of get the athlete moving and maybe maybe like a very low level kind of plyometric type activity for the lower leg. Mm-hmm. For that, it's applicable. But, you know, people in the industry start spending 40 minutes on the thing and calling <laughs> it a speed ladder when it, it doesn't make you faster. That's, that's where the problem comes in. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah. it's just like core. Like core came out 20 years ago and it made sense and then just everybody started using it and and now everybody hates it now i think it's coming back a little bit (laughs) but it's you know people take the take these things and and run with them and and then it gets gets a bad name okay let's start with some let's switch over to some more lifting questions if you uh fail in the bottom of the deadlift what you you'd be working on getting stronger (laughs) <laughs> now, uh, it could be <laughs> without without I mean a lot of times it's probably a technique issue mm. um, you know if you're sumo it could be could be leg drive a lot of times it's going to be your trunk I'm not going to say core uh, mm. and, and glutes to kind of break that thing off the floor uh, hips obviously you know that that's a funny one a lot of people want to call sumo deadlifting cheating yeah, but then if you take them and see if they can match their conventional pull on sumo, they get their ass kicked. Yeah, because their <laughs> hips aren't strong enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, because when I when I I haven't failed a deadlift in a while, but when I do my max effort and I and I look at the film when I do sumo conventional, it's both at the bottom. 
I, once I get it, like, basically at my knees, it'll zoom up like it was 100 pounds lighter. But off the bottom, I'm terrible. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it's like, like, without seeing you, it's, like, it's probably hips. Um, but there, you know, there could be some technique things there, too. It's, uh-huh. What about uh, at the top of the deadlift? Uh, again, glutes, because it's usually, you know, hips. Right. It's going to lock that out. Um, probably sent you to some demo deadlifts or more reverse hypers or, you know, something along those lines. Um, uh, how about the fail on the bottom of the squat? Again, usually hips. Yeah, bottom of the squat, a lot of times it can be upper back. Mm-hmm. Most people tend to get pitched forward when they try to stand up with a bar. So, right. And again, a lot of that can be corrected with technique, mm. but usually is like kind of trunk to upper back if you're missing coming out of the squat. Because, like I said, you'll get kind of dumped forward. What about the middle of the squat? Well, like I want to say, like three quarters the way up. Again, probably upper back. Mm. You know, most most people have the leg strength to kind of stand up with it, but it's mm. it's from the kind of waist of the shoulders where they fail and get the fatigue and get, get rolled over. Right. Um, okay. What about the bottom of the bench? Packs, shoulders could be lats. You know, your lats may not be keeping you in tight. Um, there's a few things that could be going on there, but for the most part, you probably, uh, increase your dumbbell work, maybe your mm. wide grip work, uh, try to get your, get your pecs and uh, shoulders up. Would you advise people to do direct chest work at all? Yeah, you could. Yeah, like dumbbell work, mm. um, wide grip work. Uh, you could you really, if pecs are the actual issue, you could even do some flies. I wouldn't, you know, don't go crazy with them. That's another exercise that's kind of been damned. Um, but, you know, like for a raw bencher, you might actually have to work on some pecs. Yeah, I have like no like, pecs for playing basketball, so now I'd be doing them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you gotta you gotta have some mass on there. Um, you know, it's like all these things you're like saying these places where you fail. That to me, that's kind of what's cool about max effort work is you can um, like when you're working up, and even if you don't miss, you can kind of feel where that lift wasn't strong. You know, you you can you can tell if it's like you feel it in your low back or you feel like your groin's gonna tear off. You can kind of know where you need to work on. You still there? I lost you. Back. Yeah, sorry, I lost you, man. <laughs> no worries. So we were talking about uh, ch- direct chest work. I was like, yeah, I, I had to start doing that because I had no chest. Yeah, so it's like it, I, was, I was saying that's what's cool about max effort. Like you're getting up to a point where you can like you can feel where that lift is going to miss. You don't have to go to the point mm. where you fail the lift, but you know after mm. that last set, you're like, oh, my little back felt terrible doing that or my groin – 
felt terrible. I need to work on that. You know what I mean? So that's, right. to me, that's what's kind of cool about Max Effort, where you can kind of pinpoint what you need to bring up. Right. Um, what about the middle of the bench, halfway up? Uh, usually triceps. And it, again, could be back to help keep you in position. Um, mm-hmm. Mo, a lot of the time, there's a technique issue on that one, too. But generally, mm-hmm. I would say bring your arms up. And then the top, I'm guessing, is just more triceps, right? Yeah. Or just some more man the fuck up. Like you're four inches away. <laughs> <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I'm sure I've missed some benches at the top. <laughs> <laughs> How, um, when I talked to Donnie, he was saying, you want a big bench, you should do upper back work like almost every single day. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. We, we did, we did rows like every day we train. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. yep. But yeah, there's, there's some sort of back in there. Cause it's so hard to overtrain your upper back. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, um, how should one pick a weight class for powerlifting? Just, just lift where you're at. You know, like when you first start out, or is it like after? Well, yeah, I would say, is it like lift where you're at, see how you are, see where your numbers are with everybody else, and then like go from there. Yeah. So, like, unless you're chasing a record, just lift, get as big and as strong as you can. Right. And you know, if if it gets to a point where you're so big that it's starting to hinder your lifts, then maybe come down. You know, maybe. Maybe you're getting too damn big to deadlift or something like that. Right. But uh, otherwise, just lift and lift where your weight where your weight is. You don't need to. No need to worry about it. You got there's enough shit you got to worry about when you're getting ready for a meet. You know, throwing in one more thing to be concerned with usually usually isn't worth it. All right. Um, is it worth going to Elite FTS do one of those fix your bench squat and dead things I see on YouTube because you. Be, I heard from some person you can just pay like two, three hundred dollars, and then one of the listeners will just, you know, sometimes even Dave will just put you through your workout and be like, "Here's where you suck." Yeah, that, I mean, it's um, <laughs> I did. I'm trying to think. Um, we did the uh, we did the Learn to Train Ten seminar. It was uh, mm. two summers ago, I think, mm-hmm. and like I was. I was helping coach, you know, and we, we did like a couple seminar things. And then the next day was just all technical stuff. So we had, we broke up into groups and there was a bunch of team members, you know, uh, helping people out the, that attended. We put, th- put them through bench squat, deadlift and stuff. And mm. like, I, I kept catching myself, like just listening to what the other coaches were saying. Cause there's so much good stuff. You know what I mean? I'm like, stop, you need to pay attention and, and coach, coach these people, you know, but it's there. Everybody that's there is, is really, I wish, I wish more like college strength coaches would go. And we have a good number of high school college, you know, high school strength coaches and private mm-hmm. sector, but I wish we would see more, uh, more college coaches go. Um, just cause like the upbringing I had, or like when I was coming up, I was lucky to be under people who put an emphasis on like just coaching the, the weight room movements. And I saw what a mm-hmm. difference it can make. And I wish, um, I just, I, I think more coaches could help their kids if they would pay more attention to that stuff. 
um, where where should you go to learn more about those aspects, or like you know, could would it be even just smart to just because like I'll sometimes just go on Lee FTS YouTube and look at the fix your bench, fix your squad, or like you know, um, Jay and Blakely has a bunch of stuff that he goes over and like a lot of delicious. Is it, is it smart for people to? to go on there to learn about, you know, if you can't travel, basically just learning through, you know, the internet just to, to, to fix that type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like we talked about earlier, all the information that's out there now, you know, that's, um, it's like, it's huge. And that, you know, I was, uh, I'm not doing much online coaching now, but I was, uh, I just got so busy with other stuff. I really couldn't, I couldn't do it and do the, as good a job as I wanted, but, um, when I, before I started, I was like, is this really worth it? You know, like, can hmm. I really help people? And then I got to thinking like, when I was younger, if I was able to see all these videos and stuff that are out now, it would have been a huge help. Right. You know what I mean? Cause like where I grew up, we didn't have, there was nobody within in the area that knew anything about lifting really. So yeah, like video is, you know, YouTube and all those, all that stuff we have out is, is a huge, huge resource for sure. Do you do you think you guys are going to have one of those seminars again? I think so. I think it's just you know with everything the way it is right now, it's it's tough. Um, yeah, and that they're they're a lot of work. It's um, you know, I honestly I don't think we make much money off it after you get done paying speakers and all that stuff. You know, right. but, um, which is not why we do them, but it's 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 a lot of work for you know a lot of people got to put a lot of time into it. Um, but I, I think once things settle down, um, yeah, I think Dave's kind of, kind of looking at starting to do a little more of that stuff. Um, does Dave, so you said earlier there was other people that do the designing for the equipment. Does Dave do it too? Or is it just like he has people that design new stuff? Like I seen that GHD reverse hyper combo, like, you know, who is, who comes up with all this stuff? Um, a lot of it's Dave, a lot of it, um, he has a group of lifters that come in and train there too, mm-hmm. you know, so he, he takes their feedback and then, you know, take the ideas and work with our manufacturers and they have ideas too. And yeah, it's, you know, basically just people in the gym hmm. coming up with everything. So um, if, if people had their home gym or they're starting their gym business what is like a few pieces of equipment that you would recommend them getting off the bat like some must-haves uh rack obviously bench um glute ham raise reverse hyper uh box to squat on i'd get Mm -hmm. bands chains a couple specialty bars um i'd probably get a few kettlebells if you can swing that, I get a sled. I'm thinking kind of like a private kind of garage gym kind of situation. Right. Um, monolift. If I if I had the space for it, I'd grab a monolift. <laughs> you think monolift is good for the athletes? Out. What's that? Do you think the monolift is good for the athletes? Because like I you said, they don't have to walk it out. I think it's a great idea. You, I don't. Right. If you, I understand <clears throat> coaches. Are, would be hesitant because of, they feel like there's no, you know, like the spotter arm issue or whatever, you mm. know, if you have to dump it. But if you can teach the kids how to spot and work through there, 
you could run yeah. like eight kids through a squat workout in no time. Right. You know what I mean? You can adjust the yeah. height. Next guy's height. up, slap the plates mm-hmm. on. You know, like all like all the college weight rooms have just like have a power rack. Right. You know, to me, like if you could have like a monolith on the back of a power rack, that would be that would to me it would be ideal. It's so efficient. Once you once you get the kids to understand how to do it, it's it goes. Pretty, we had two of them when I was um, when I was coaching. You know, and we'd have a couple groups back there, five or six kids just cranking through their squats. All right, man. Well, that's that's all the questions I had for you. Um, you know, tell people where to find you, any information, you know, for your book and, and Lead FTS and all that. Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Nate Harvey, 2450. Um, the book's on Uh If uh, if anybody wants to email me or anything, it's just nharvey at EliteFTS.net. If you guys have any questions or equipment needs or anything we can help out with, just let me know. All right, man. Well, it was, it was a pleasure. Yeah, same here, man. I uh, appreciate you having me on. <laughs> I want to get down there for that uh, seminar next year. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, this one, this next one, we're going to have you on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. I'm in. <laughs> All right, brother. You have a good day, man. All right, dude. All, All right. Good. Thanks a lot. You too. Bye-bye.